What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. Skybox is the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports wagering, sports handicapping industry, along with years of wisdom and experience. These guys are legit. If you're wagering right now, maybe it's some baseball, maybe you're into golf, I would encourage you to get into NASCAR. These guys are up 24 units on the current NASCAR season at a 30-plus unit weekend between NASCAR and the Kentucky Derby. You need to hop on this or you're just kind of pissing away free money for the lack of a better phrase. Excuse my French. But you need to go get on these guys right now. They have weekly packages, monthly packages, sports-centric. You do a weekly NASCAR pass, weekly MLB pass. Any sport, you can go weekly, monthly, day pass, I would recommend doing the full year because you're just going to make it back and then some very quickly. But you can do daily passes, weekend passes. They have something that's going to fit your price range is my point. And with my promo code, Rippy, you can get 20% off whatever that is. So they're running a deal now where you buy the four-week NASCAR pass, which is 25 bucks. If it's not profitable, you get your money back. So you throw in 25 bucks and you're either going to make a ton of money or just get the 25 bucks right back. Not sure how you can beat that. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use my promo code, and you will get 20% off. Go check these guys out. They're legit. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You all know the drill. You know, Greg, go see him this weekend. It's May. Weather's getting warmer. Grueling season's up. They got all kinds of stuff at the store. Uh, Lane Train special, Keith Carter special. How about that blast from the past? That's an old ad read. But if you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights podcast, you get a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks right now and $2 off any fish in the freezer. Check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg is absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Probably get a grill corner rolling next week at some point, but go check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, and take advantage of being a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter. We've got a pack show today. It's Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday is back in its rightful place. This needs no tease. Connor and I take your mailbag questions. We preview the South Carolina series. Ole Misco and TBA on Sunday, what that means. We actually talked ourselves into exactly what that means after about 20 minutes of just deliberating on possible theories. So we decided who Ole Miss is starting on Sunday. If we're wrong, then you didn't hear anything. Just rewind all of this and uh, forget we said anything. But we talked ourselves very strongly into knowing who we think Ole Miss is going to start on Sunday. Got into some around the SEC stuff, made some picks. Uh, without further ado, let's roll. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Friday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. On the other end of the line, as he always is on Fridays, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you joining us for another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. It is Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday is back in its rightful place. I feel like it's been a while since we've done one of these uh, true Mailbag Friday, and I guess that's because we've had a Thursday game and then a travel deal. Was it two Thursday games and a travel issue? Right, Ole Miss went state LSU. And then last week I was going to a wedding, which was well-documented and couldn't do it. So, like, it's been a while since we had true Mailbag Friday. What's up, man? Yeah, yeah. It has been a little bit. Not much. Not much. Just sitting here watching uh, sitting here watching some baseball. 
Yeah, back, uh, there's, uh, there's a couple series started tonight that will not affect our picks. None of us are checking scores, even though you just admitted to watching baseball. I haven't <laughs> seen the scores yet. I'm going to pretend like you didn't tell them to me. But we'll get into our picks. Uh, a lot of different stuff to cover today. We got a good mailbag response on the questions. I'm about to actually round up last call as we hit the record button here. We'll get into all things Ole Miss. Uh, I was about to say LSU because I can't think straight. Ole Miss, Texas, A&M. And uh, kind of go from there. So I guess we'll, let's backtrack first because Ole Miss did play a baseball game in the midweek, which they did not last week because of finals and graduation the next week and all that stuff. I don't know what graduation has to do with it. I'm just talking out of my ass. They did not play last week because of finals. They played Arkansas State, and I wrote in the newsletter, you either hope for a good performance or rain. I'd probably prefer the latter. And uh, you got neither because it looked like, uh, on a more serious note, it looked like the central part of Mississippi got – hit pretty hard by some storms. Uh, and I just say that to say I didn't think they were going to get that game in, just judging from afar, but they did, and it wasn't a pretty one. No, it was not. Um, I I mean, the offense was good, obviously, but they're going to be good against Arkansas State midweek pitching. Um, you know, you get through some guys with the exception of Diamond and I guess maybe Tyler Myers that aren't going to throw many more meaningful innings this year. And you got what you got. Like, I, I'm not going to read too much into it because I don't think Cody Adcock and, and Josh Mallett and really Austin Miller at this point are going to factor in uh, to anything Ole Miss does. I mean, I guess the one takeaway is Jackson Kimbrell. Um, you talk about his issues and what his issues have been has been control. Um, well, at least he threw the ball over the strike zone. So, uh, or into the strike zone. So, uh, not a lot to take away. But, you know, Ole Miss, Ole Miss certainly did not play well. I will tell you, um, in this COVID year, I think there's some extra emphasis on winning 40 games. I think that's the number that's important. Um, so Ole Miss needed to get that game in, and 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 they did. Yeah, that's a that that's a fair point as well. And that was actually so I didn't do a Wednesday newsletter. Just had a lot going on at work, and there wasn't much going on. But I did send out a Thursday newsletter, and that's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> the way you kind of articulated the bullpen thing was the guys that pitched in that game that are going to factor in on the weekends pitch well plus Jackson Kimbrell. And I just thought I, I kind of wrote the exact same thing. I said, you got what you thought you were going to get from the guys that are going to matter on the weekends. And then you just saw what you're going to get into if you ever have to dig past that. And I know you tweeted something about this, but I kind of used the example that you, you would use. It's like, you know, if they get into the loser's bracket of a regional and they got to dig into some pitching, uh, they better score a lot of runs because they may be in some trouble, but, it's not something we didn't already know, right? Like, it, it wasn't that surprising. No. Um, so, you know, I, I, you're right. It, the bullpen, you kind of hope at some point they do pitch better, but it's obvious at this point, man, you, you, you've got your guys, um, and you got to lean on them because the, the, the options past what you're kind of, you know, thinking is going to help you out of the bullpen just really aren't, aren't ready to help. Yeah, they aren't. It, and – with, I actually wrote the same thing with Kimbrough. I said, you know, it's a good sign that he had a scoreless inning. You hope he can find something down the stretch to give them a left-handed arm, at least one option out of the bullpen, but I wouldn't hold my breath, I think is how I phrased it this morning in the newsletter as we record this on a Thursday night. Uh, you know, I'm not taking much away from a start against uh, – I mean, not a start, an outing against sure. uh, Arkansas State. But, I mean, it's it's not nothing. I mean, that, that I, I, I'll go through his game log in a second once I pull it up, but I'll remember the last time he put up a zero. He may not remember it. Yeah. You're um, right. So, you know, obviously, if you want to take something out of it, Jackson Kimberl pitched well. I think he will get uh, maybe a 
opportunity or two in low leverage SEC situations to to pitch, and they hope they find something there with him. Um, but I do think he's going to have to he's going to have to earn it kind of in some situations where unless Ole Miss is out of pitching that don't t- dictate the wins or losses of, of the game. Absolutely. I was just thinking about this because when I was coming through the SEC weekly baseball release for a, a couple of different reasons, the potential like Hoover bracket or whatever it is they put in every week, that thing's 70 something pages. Shout out to the interns that work for uh damn it. Now <laughs> on the guy's name at the SEC office. That's a, that's a lot of trees you're killing with that. Uh, that's, that's not, that can't be fun to play. Do they hand that thing out like in every series or how does that work? Yeah, they have one available uh, to, uh, to the press box at every press box I've ever been into in the Southeastern Conference is with the other team's game notes and stuff. So yeah, that goes out everywhere and there is a gajillion of them in Hoover uh, that week. And I actually think there's like that in magazine form or something, not magazine. It's like binded and laminated. It could have fooled me for a magazine and I'm because I'm stupid, but you get what I'm saying. There's like a who nicer is, version of it too at Hoover. Who in God's name reads that stuff? You'd be surprised. A lot of uh, a lot of old-fashioned sports writers love coming through the notes. And wow. dude, you know, on a more, in all seriousness, though, that's something when I was a full-time reporter, I could have been better about. I'm not going to scour 71 pages of game notes uh, ever, no. just because I value my time a little bit more than that. And my sanity is probably a better way to phrase that. But I could have been better about reading through game notes because those SIDs do work hard to find nuggets. Oh, yeah. Information if you ever look at it. Now, 71 pages, uh, not happening. No, no, um, no. Like, I mean, I guess I'm weird in that, like, the stuff I want to know, like, I, I look up on my own. So, um, I don't know. But, yeah, there's no way in God's green earth I'd, I'd read 71 pages of, frankly, anything. Yeah, me neither. And so I guess we'll just we'll, – uh, let's preview the series and then we'll get into the mailbag question because that kind of usually lends itself to the best setup for the sure. podcast. Ole Miss is now 13-8 and eight in the Southeastern Conference with nine games to go. Whether they like two back in the West. I know no one's like thinking about the West anymore, but crazier shit has happened. I mean, sure. Arkansas is 15-6, Ole Miss 13-8. and eight. I know Arkansas is the head-to-head. They're a game behind State. Um, you know, and Alabama's the only other team 500 in the conference. Ole Miss has a real opportunity here. You take three more here, and you're you're talking about a whole different deal. And uh, you know, I'll go as far as to say if Ole Miss was able to go on the road to College Station and and sweep, which I don't necessarily anticipate, but I certainly don't think it's unreasonable or highly unlikely. Uh, you're kind of talking about erasing what happened over the last four weeks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you. Yeah, I mean, you leave College Station 16-8, and eight, and essentially what you've done by your record is you've won every series you played, right? You went 2-1 and one in every series because that's 8 times 2 is 16 and 8 times 1 is 8, last time I checked. Um, so, yeah, if, you've, if you win three this weekend, I mean, you, you have pretty much erased the, the, the four bad weekends in a row. Um, and, you know, you're two weekends away from, you know, winning four games and getting 20 wins. And uh, this team at 20 wins will, without a doubt, be a national seed, which is what the end goal should be for the regular season. Sure. How hilarious would it be if they never took two or three the whole season? Well, if they never took two or three from the whole season, they're not winning the Vanderbilt series. No, they're not. But let's just say say they sweep this weekend, Vandy takes two or three, and they sweep Georgia. That has to be a first, right? There's no – That would have to be a first. Yeah, good Lord. I, I wonder 
I'm sure it's happened. Has anybody ever gone through a SEC slate and not won a series? I'm sure, like, there, there's been five and 25 teams. So, surely that they didn't win a series if they did that. If you went five and 25 and won a series, that almost makes it worse. Yeah, 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 because you just spread out your uh, – or you just – you know, you had one good weekend that kind of compensated for it. Sure. I mean, if you, you won two out of three, so that means the rest of the way you, you – went three and 24. Yeah, that that seems that sounds way worse. Uh, not that five and twenty five sounds better. That's a uh, that's pretty wild. So just kind of taking a glance at this series as we've kind of uh, kind of outlined what Ole Miss has at stake this weekend. I, realistically, the goal clearly is to get to fifteen wins and to sure. lose this weekend fifteen and nine. Which, all things considered, you know, when this whole predetermined site sites thing came out and everyone freaked out and we don't have to rehash everything about how that turned out to be really just kind of a huge nothing burger other than the NCAA wanted to get uh, some extra Lysol wipes around each stadium. But like 15 and nine was the mark that everyone kept saying, uh, us included, I say everyone, it seemed like a consensus. We talked about it from the get go that you wanted to be at to feel good about getting selected. And that's clearly within reach and they will have to have screwed up to not have done something to get to 50 yeah. at this point, meaning losing to an inferior team, uh, just quite the odd path to get there. Sure. And, and, and reality is, you know, we, we said 15 and nine and to feel safe. Reality is, though, uh, some teams have stubbed their toe over the past week to two weeks. Um, if Ole Miss wins one, they will have their name called, especially with it being 20 now. They will have their name called on Monday, barring an absolute collapse this weekend. And I think, frankly, Ole Miss could lose all three, which they're not going to do. Um, they can lose all three and probably still have their name called. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. I mean, you it's it's a weird path to get there. But like you said, I mean, you're you're three wins away from racing. You know, a month of bad baseball, but that's what the ability to sweep uh, does. So, you know, I, do I expect Ole Miss to sweep? I, I probably, if you put a gun to my head, would say they win two of three. Uh, but like you said earlier, it's not completely unrealistic. It's not highly unlikely. There is a very real possibility. Um, that Ole Miss wins all three games because, frankly, I mean, and this is going to be the case, honestly, um, with, with every time they go out on a play. The first two games of the weekend, and I'm including Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker in this at this point, they will be better at the starting pitching position. And, frankly, there's very, very few teams in America that their offense is better. So, uh, with that, I mean, you have a – you, frankly, have a chance to win at least – win every weekend and against inferior opponents, you have a real chance to sweep regardless of where the game's played. Yeah, and I'm about to outline why uh, that three is not completely out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Texas A&M has had a bit of a rough go of it. Sure. Uh, they are uh, just had the right five and 16. And for the record, you know, people saw that LSU team come into Oxford a couple weekends ago, and they did take two or three. But I don't think anyone that listens to this show or kind of is plugged in with SEC baseball left that weekend being overly impressed with LSU. Though I think LSU did play one of their better series of the weekend, particularly uh, at the plate, and then got two good starts uh, from their top two guys, and that's kind of how it went, and you know, almost swept. But you know, with that being said, I don't think anyone was overly impressed with LSU that weekend, and LSU is seven and fourteen. So like A and M, I mean A and M and Auburn have the same record right now. That would probably be a much shorter way to describe it. They have had sure. a year from hell. Uh, just not being totally plugged into A&M, looking at their statistics, going through some results, and then judging it on a couple games that I have caught. They have had a lot of injuries. They played a bunch of dudes 
they've only had one guy play every game. They've had a bunch of dudes miss time. They don't hit very well, and they don't pitch it near well enough to overcome that. Brian, they start two guys that Ole Miss told weren't good enough. Like, just put that in context. Two of their starters, Ole Miss said, you're not good enough to play here. Um, you know, they, they were on Ole Miss's team, and then they weren't. So, um, it's not an overly talented baseball team. Um, they're not going to pitch it very well. They're not going to hit it very well. It is a weird sport. You're on the road. But Ole Miss is going to be better in the bullpen, and I did say that, in the bullpen. Uh, they're going to be better at starting pitching every day, um, and they're going to be better at the plate. So, you're right. A&M is a team that's not very good right now. Um, they, they Again, their starting pitching is pretty bad. Their bullpen's pretty bad, and they can't hit. Like, that, that's a recipe for a disaster, and frankly, that's what they've gotten. Now, what they will do is they will play hard. Um, and I know, like, I don't I, – I, I say that, and, and I'm a firm believer of they better play hard. They're college athletes. So, I don't, I don't give a whole bunch of credence to uh, they play hard. But I have seen teams quit before, and up until this weekend, A&M has not quit. So you're going to have to show up and play if you're going to beat them. You can't go play like you did against LSU and win that series. Uh, you frankly won't do it. But if you show up and play well, you will win that series and give yourself a real opportunity on Sunday to win three. Back that up for a second. The two lefties they're throwing this weekend were – did you say that again? The No, no, I said they – Two of their starters. Oh, oh, oh. I t- I, my mind went to starting pitchers. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. Now we're on the same page because I was looking yeah. at the Sands kid and I was like, wait a minute. What are you talking no. about? No, 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 no. They're, they're starting third baseman. They're starting center fielder. Bryce Blom's still around. Still there. Who's, who am I missing? Ray Alejo. That's right. Ray Alejo. Holy hell. That's us. And he's actually been pretty good for them. Uh, yeah, he's one of their better hitters. He didn't hit the ball over the fence a lot, but he hits it pretty good for average. That's wild to me. Um, one, I was trying to look at the starters, but I uh, I just assumed Bryce Blom was gone. Didn't he leave after 17? He did, but, you know. Uh, I guess the so, threw me up. Yeah, he, he didn't play much in 17. He redshirted in 18. He started in 19. So that was 19 was his junior year. Then COVID, and now this year. He still technically, I think, got a year of eligibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's a COVID junior, I guess, was yes. the way that is. And then Ray Alejo, just to give people some context, was kind of the press box Cole Baker, if you're looking at a position builder, just kind of the guy like, can you get this kid in the game? And I actually don't even remember if he ever got in a game. I don't him. think he did. He actually went to either Central or South Florida before he went back to – or before he went to A&M. Uh, so Dan, Bryce Baum, that that's a blast from the past. That seems like forever ago. He Bryce, was the kid, if I'm not mistaken, that thought he should be playing shortstop over Gray Kessinger in 17. He did, and to to his credit, because that last year was the Tate Blackman year, and Tate Blackman, look, I liked him. He was a nice guy. He always was kind of, you know, on some of those guys are not thrilled to talk to us at all. Tate was always great, always had a good attitude, like no matter sure. what, when it came talking to us. Uh, from a fielding standpoint, because he still hit the ball. From oh, the oh Morgan from LSU just tore his hamstring. Goodness. That doesn't sound great. Oh, that's awful. God, dog. Um, but so at that point, the, the, from a fielding perspective, Blackman was so – I don't know if wash is the right word. You know, Blackman came in and he was kind of this highly touted shortstop and then breaks his leg his senior year of high school and I guess apparently was never the same. I say all that to say we're going off the rails here – Bryce Blom did play a pretty good second base in the spot start that he got behind him, but the idea that he should have started over Greg Kessinger as a true freshman is laughable, and that's why he left. 
Yeah, he wanted to play shortstop, so he left and went and sat behind Braden Shoemake and never played shortstop at AM. Yeah, could you have picked during that time period? Could you have picked the worst place to go, sit, worst guy to sit behind in the SEC after leaving, sitting behind? Greg it's Cox? like I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, actually, I want to play shortstop, so I'm gonna go sit behind uh, Alex Bregman for a few years. That was exactly the name I was going to throw out <laughs> as well, which was kind of the, the passing of the torch of the SEC, right? You had Bregman, and there's one other dude that came to mind during that Bregman era for – Swanson. Yeah, it was, that, 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 God, that blinked on that real quick. Dansby at Vanderbilt, and then it was kind of Kessinger and Shoemaker after that in terms of kind of like, you know, not household name, but SEC shortstops that are kind of the cream of the crop. So uh, – Tough sledding there for Bryce Blom. I'm guessing, despite Shoemake being there, it had more effect that he's a Sugarland Texas kid, probably wants to get back sure. to the home and had an opportunity to play. Be that as it may, uh, Texas A&M struggles in all facets. I think I was being yeah. saying they don't pitch it well enough to overcome it. Neither one of these left-handers are going to overwhelm you. One's ERA starts at the four. The other one's is almost starting with the four. And uh, nothing overly impressive about them. And uh, this is not your typical Ole Miss team of the last three years that kind of gets baffled by left-handed pitching. Could we fair to dub this the Ben Van Cleve weekend? Yeah, I think he'll. I think he'll get a, a few starts. Um, what I will tell you is that, that Chris Weber on Saturday has not been in their rotation. Um, their rotation has been the Sands kid, Bryce Miller, and uh, Nate Detmer. Bryce Miller is not in the slated rotation. Obviously, um, I don't know if that's injury related or what, but he is their best pitcher. Uh, from a numbers perspective and a stuff perspective, Bryce Miller is really good. So what I'm wondering is if they're just trying to use him, you know, their TBA on Sunday, if they're willing to use him. And he was in the bullpen last weekend um, when on Friday night they were playing in extra innings against State, and I think he would have came in if A&M took the lead. I think what they're going to try to do is that if he if they have a lead at some point on Friday or Saturday, they're going to give him the baseball and try to let him close out baseball games. Um, so I don't think it's a demotion for their guy on Saturday. I think they're just trying to go about it differently and, and not get lit up in the bullpen kind of like they have recently. I think that's exactly what it is because when I saw this come out earlier today, I actually went and looked at Texags. And uh, as he was as recently – actually, Texags – Tex Ags, excuse me, in this initially reported May 5th is yesterday, right? Yeah. That it was Dustin Sands on Friday and Bryce Miller on Saturday. But of course, that didn't end up happening when uh, that, that had to be a mistake because the, one of their other beat reporters immediately had it that it was Sands, uh, Weber, and then um, Bryce Miller coming out of the pen, which is what uh, basically the consensus was is that's exactly what they were trying to do. But uh, it actually looks like the days were switched. Is the Weber kids now going on Friday? Oh, well, it, the SEC release said Saturday. Oh, maybe I have that. No, I just can't read. I, it is Saturday. I had that completely backwards. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sam's Friday, uh, Weber Saturday. Sorry, I got confused by yes. that. So you think that, they're, that it's kind of a strategy of, okay, if, it, if there's not a scenario where we can – try to see if he can preserve a leave over like 40. Like if it's four to one in the fifth, they probably hand the ball to that kid and just see if he finishes out and sure. then he pitches game three if that scenario hasn't arisen. So in Correct. all likelihood, Ole Miss's toughest test could probably come in game three, kind of like it was last weekend against. Yes, especially if, if uh, speaking of which, South Carolina switched their rotation up. Anyways. Um, After getting yeah, swept, that seems smart. Well, it's the same guys, but they uh, they moved them around. Anyways. No, I saw they, the order got switched back up. I thought the pitching backwards thing was stupid, particularly against a club like Ole Miss, but I digressed. Yeah. Um, 
But, yeah, I mean, they're going to give the ball to Bryce Miller if they're ahead late. And, uh, you know, it's a tough spot for Ole Miss to be in. So, my advice is to not be behind late. That, that is my advice for Ole Miss this weekend. Do not be behind late. Uh, yeah, because you've, you've seen that happen to this team, hell, how many times this year? You know, Florida does it with – Mace. You know, I I, yeah, I was about to say Mace. I can't think of anyone's name today. I almost screwed up Gunnar Hoagland's name when writing this morning. Uh, I, it's been one of those days. You saw that with Mace in the Thursday game against Florida, right, where Ole Miss doesn't get anything going, kind of has a tough start. And then Mace was unhittable for over the last – four and change, or maybe it was five, I don't remember. And uh, I know this wasn't by design, but LSU did it too, where Marceau leaves the game, and that kid that immediately came behind him, not Labus, but uh, Fontenot. Fontenot, was absolutely unhittable. So this has happened to Ole Miss a couple times. Do you think this is something that teams are seeing? Like, Do you think Rob Childress uh, saw this and was like, this is our best shot because of what's happened to, against this Ole Miss lineup a couple no. times? Or do you think he's just trying anything because this is the year from hell and he's probably getting canned? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's the latter. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, you know, how do you look at Ole Miss's film against Florida and look at Ole Miss's film against LSU and say, well, if I hold Bryce Miller and throw him out there in that situation, he'll be unhittable as well. Like, Yes, Ole Miss did not perform well against Mace and did not perform well against Fontenot, but it was because Mace and Fontenot were really, really good. Um, and I don't think – you know, Bryce Miller's good. I don't think he has that level of confidence that he's going to walk out on that mound and be unhittable. Um, so, no, I think it's just they're trying to do anything they can to frankly – and when honestly, when you're, in a, you're a team like A&M, uh, you have no path to the tournament outside of winning the SEC tournament. So it could be a situation of, we're going to do everything we can to make sure we get one game this weekend because if we get one game, we're staying on path and can get into Hoover. And, frankly, all they need at this point is to get into Hoover because that's their only path. Talk about a rock fight, man. That race to Hoover is something else. You've got five and 16. It's a three-way tie. One of these teams is getting left out, and I cannot wait to see how this finishes up. Just competitors competing out there on the diamond. Uh, Texas A&M 5-16, and 16, Auburn 5-16. and 16. And Missouri five and sixteen. You wanna know? You wanna know who the best the best team of that bunch is? I'm gonna go Auburn. It's Auburn. <laughs> it's, it's not, not even close. really close. No, yeah, it's I was about to really say close. it doesn't appear really close because Auburn. You look at their five and sixteen record, and you've watched them play. I mean, look at any kid that they have pitch on a given night, and they hit the ball. They slug it okay. They don't really string together at bats very well. But you're like, how is this team this bad? You look at them, and if you didn't know any better, they're a 10 and 11-ish club in the SEC. They've lost like seven one-run games. Uh, yeah, I mean, the bet here is on Missouri, right, not to be joining the conference. Yeah, I would – yeah. Yeah, I would go uh, – well, Auburn and A&M actually play next week. I think the series is at Auburn. Um, but, yeah, it's Missouri, and to me it's A&M. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably wagering that as well. And if you just want to look at overall records to try to discern these two teams, um, Texas A&M – 25 and 22, congrats on a shitty non-conference slate. Auburn, 19 and 21, we kind of d- diagnosed them. Missouri is 12 and 29. Good Lord. Almost half of their wins are SEC wins. Is, That's how you spin it. Does Missouri at some point – because I know we've talked about before they used to be okay and could sometimes sneak into a regional, but I kind of feel like at a place like that, once it, it's gone to hell, like you don't get it out of hell, I'm not going to be shocked in the next five years they're not playing baseball. Yeah, particularly with all this pandemic deal, because and you say that too. The last time we had an NCAA tournament, they should have been in. They got royally sure. screwed. But it's gone to hell the past two years. They were going to be terrible this year, last year, and they're terrible this year. 
Oh, for sure. They just need a couple of Max Scherzers to step back on campus, which I think <laughs> that would help the cost. Uh, here's a, here's just a couple of numbers I'll throw at you from uh, Texas A&M's perspective. Their bottom third offense and average. They're I think they're twelfth on the number. They are yeah, they're twelfth on the number. there. thirteenth in slugging. Uh, fourth, they walk a decent bit. They're ninth in on base percentage. That doesn't help against Ole Miss, though. No, it does not at all. That's not a good matchup. They're actually a middle-of-the-pack team, top-half team. They're sixth in the league in hits. Now, I would say that's a little deceiving because this is the overall standings. When you look at the standings in conference play, they slide down to ninth, but they're actually not worse. Sounds like they just can't get runs across the plate. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like they're – yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. And, I mean, they don't hit for a lot of power, obviously. So, yeah, they strike out a ton. So, yeah, this – look, I mean, if Ole Miss shows up on Friday and Saturday and doesn't throw the ball into the freaking dugout and catches fly balls and doesn't drop pop-ups and gets a hit or two with a runner in scoring position, they should go into Sunday with a chance to sweep. Now, like last week, and Ole Miss was able to get it done, not necessarily thinking that you're going to have much of an advantage on Sunday. So a sweep would be not necessarily tough, but – I think if you get to Sunday 2-0, I think, it, I think the game's 50-50, whereas I think on, on Friday and Saturday, Ole Miss has pretty decisive advantages. I completely agree. And if they do exactly what they did last weekend, you would probably like their odds. Like, if I told you Ole Miss played an errorless weekend again this weekend, what would percentage chance would you put that they'd sweep? I think I would go 55. I would actually yeah, I think yeah. percent yeah, I think I'd go higher than 50 uh, if they don't make an error this weekend. Now, that being said, going two weekends uh, without an error is hard for good SEC defensive teams, and Ole Miss is not a good defensive team. Um, so, but, yeah, if they, they don't make an error this weekend, I think there's a really good chance they sweep. That being said, like, like I said, I, I have a hard time seeing that. I do, too. I mean, with the way this team is played, they might be due for 12 uh, this weekend. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, they're texting them pretty middling, uh, particularly starting pitching. And if you go through their entire rotation, their bullpen's not very good either. You know, they're a bottom team in opponent batting average. They are, uh, uh, they're ninth ERA. Um, you know, they're, they're just aggressively average on the mound and very bad at the plate. That's not a great combo, particularly against this Ole Miss team. No, no, that's not a good, not a good problem to have. Um, so, We'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in it because, frankly, I mean, look, if Ole Miss can win three this weekend, everything's in front of you at that point because, I, I you know, we talk about how good Arkansas is. They are. They've only swept once this year uh, in SEC play, and that was Mississippi State. So, you, you would think that if you're able to get three this weekend, Arkansas only gets two, well, now you're a game back with six to go. And like you said earlier, I've seen crazier stuff happen, especially when you consider the fact that Arkansas finishes at Tennessee and at home with Florida. Um, so. You know, and, you know, obviously you got to overcome Mississippi State in that as well, who's at South Carolina this weekend. Um, but if Ole Miss is able to get three this weekend, I mean, you, you go from talking about, you know, the wet, win the rest West, and really if you can win the West at this point, you can win the SEC. You go from talking about it probably being a little unrealistic to, hey, we've got a shot at this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You get three this weekend, there's no telling what happens, and you're, you're almost assured to make up ground on the two teams in front of you given who they're playing. I don't think State sweeps South Carolina, which we'll get into a little bit later in this show. Um, and I don't uh, – now, who's Arkansas going at against? They, they host Georgia. But, yeah, like, Georgia's Arkansas – Georgia's definitely getting one there. 
yeah, like Arkansas didn't get one from Bama or Auburn or A&M at home. I don't think they're going to get one from – or, excuse me, they didn't win all three from those three, those three teams. I don't really see the rationale as to why they'd sweep Georgia. I uh, I agree. Let me throw you a couple uh, – just because when I was looking up some A&M stuff earlier, I'm going to throw down some Ole Miss statistics as well. Uh, so this is this is Ole Miss in conference games only. Or, excuse me, this is the SEC in conference games only. Do you know who has the best batting average in the SEC? In SEC games only? SEC only. Tim Elko. No, 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 no. Uh, we're going uh, clubs here, collective teams. Oh, clubs, Ole Miss. Yes, they do. They are the only team that hit 300. Vanderbilt is second at 279. Uh, Ole Miss Yeah, is, Ole Miss is up. Yeah, I was just going to say they were like 25 points up or so. Way, way up. Ole Miss is second in the Southeastern Conference in slugging percentage in SEC games, 467, three points behind, three percentage points behind Tennessee. They are first in on-base percentage uh, by a 14 uh, decimal margin. I'm not going to get into hundreds and thousands or whatever the hell this is, tenth and a hundreds, because I'm not that smart. Tied for second in runs scored, lead the conference in hits and lead the conference in runs driven in, lead the conference in doubles, but tenth in home runs. That's a kind of an interesting way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, well, it's two ways to look at it. You would like more home runs, but the fact that they're not home run reliant seems kind of like positive, too, when you consider how good they are offensively. Ole Miss is third in every single offensive category of the SEC list and top two in all of them, but two in every offensive category. And I'm not talking about like hit by pitch, strikeouts, all that shit, just hitting statistics in Southeastern conference games only and 10th in home runs. What does that tell you? Tells you they hit a lot of doubles. Um, or you would think they hit a lot of, a lot of doubles and, and singles. Um, yeah. Look, th- this offense is really, really good. And I think, uh, I think as the weather gets warmer, too, I think they're going to wind up hitting more home runs than what they currently have. I would agree with that. I don't even think it's necessarily concerning. It just kind of – I don't know. I've looked at this team at times, and now the more and more I thought about it as as I was reading through these statistics and kind of looking it up, and I do this weekly, so I wasn't, like, shocked by a ton of this. I knew generally where they stood, but it kind of stood out to me for the first time. It's like particularly on in parts of the early that 2020 season and you know, sure. towards the end of 19, it was kind of like – okay, this team relies a lot on home runs and extra base hits. Uh, they're not necessarily going to string eight, nine hit, ten, you know, seven, eight, nine hits together in a row and have a beginning that way. That's actually exactly what this team is. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what this team is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but at this point, right, your offense is what it is to the point that, you know, yeah, I do expect them to hit more home runs as the, as the weather gets warmer. But um, this team's a lot of guys that, that – have a high batting average and, and hit a bunch of singles and some doubles. and uh, But it's a really good offense, man. They, they make you earn it. They take their walks. Um, so, I, I've said for a while, it's one of the best offenses in the country, if not the best offense in the country. And, and kind of week in and week out, they continue to display that. Oh, absolutely. And like I was saying a second ago, I didn't find the home run thing concerning. It was just the first no. time compared to everything else. I was just like, oh, wow, this is kind of a jarring, like, number where you go first, second, 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 first, third, 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 tenth. Yeah. It's just kind of an interesting way to look at it. In a sport like college baseball where bullpens aren't nearly as deep and you're not facing high-end arm talent all the time once you get past starters, I would actually rather have it Ole Miss's way than to be like Arkansas and hit 70-something home runs. Not to say Arkansas sure. isn't good in everything else. They're top two, top three, pretty much every category. But you kind of get what I mean. Like, it, I would rather have it that way than kind of the feast or famine. You'll hit 100 home runs and strike out, you know, whatever the equivalent of, you know, 
200 times or whatever it is in the press. You look at Arkansas from an OPS perspective. I mean, they've got like an SEC game. It's only like 807. Everybody talks about how awesome their offense is. Look, they have a good offense. Uh, Ole Miss is better. So it's it's funny to me. Like, yeah, it's just because Arkansas hits a ton of home runs, people think their offense is this juggernaut. Statistically, they're just kind of not. No, they aren't. Arkansas slugging is – No, no, sorry. That's overall. I clicked on the wrong thing. Let's try this again. Arkansas in slugging percentage in SEC play is – oh, man, I should not have set myself up to do math on the fly. It, yeah, it's like 809. They're, they're eighth in slugging and, and third in on-base percentage. Yeah. Um, so, which results in, uh, I think I looked it up, it's like an 808 OPS. Um, so, you know, it's – it, Ole Miss's offense is the best in the SEC and by proxy is going to be one of the best in the country. Um, and, and, frankly, they've got guys in there that I think are going to wind up getting better and better, obviously, the more at-bats that they wind up getting. Sure, and you know whose offense has turned out to be a lot better than I think we maybe initially thought at the beginning of the year was Vanderbilt, and it's probably come at a con- – you know, it's probably been quite the convenience that that has emerged because kind of the M.O. seemed to be in them in conference play was, okay, they got two dudes that you're not going to score any runs off of, but they don't hit like typical Vanderbilt teams to where that pitching's fallen off, particularly on the front-end starters, where they've actually proved to be a pretty consistent offense. They're the second-best yeah. offense in the SEC, I think, behind Ole Miss. Sure. Um, and they, like you said, they needed it because, you know, uh, lighter has not been as advertised, frankly, the past two weeks. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're bad on Sundays from a pitching perspective. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really good for Vanderbilt that they were, they were able to, you know, go deep into their scholarships. They only get 11.7. So it was able to, it was good that they were able to find some guys and, and able to make that work. Obviously, you know, they have a tough deal over there. So glad, glad they were able to find some players. They do. As bad as I am at math, Tim Corbin must be a finance whiz to disperse that up enough to get that many guys that throw that hard and have that much talent. So props to uh, props to him. Maybe he can teach Mike Bianco how to split up the 11.7 better. <laughs> uh, Raining it back in a little bit uh, more towards this series. The, I guess a bit of uh, – I was about to say newsworthy news. Newsworthy notes uh, was that Ole Miss in the SEC release – Ole Miss has not released their game notes yet. Uh, but the SEC has released theirs, and it had Ole Miss as Gunnar Hoagland, Doug Nikhazy, and TBA. I, I'm going to be honest. I am not. I can't find the previous SEC weekly releases. They took me off the email list for whatever reason, so I don't get them in my inbox anymore. And you can't look up the previous ones on their website. Or if you can, I would love for someone to show me because I don't know how. I'm not necessarily skeptical, but I will I will make more of this if Ole Miss goes TBA in their own notes tomorrow. Does that do you does that make any sense? Sure. Uh, well, no. I, I will say this: A uh, and M listed their their in their notes. They listed Ole Miss as TBA, so that that tells me that, that I think they probably will be TBA. So A and M's notes are out now. Yes, A and M's. I looked at them. They have the probable matchups as TBA versus TBA on Sunday. Okay, fair enough. Then I, I, I'm in line to believe that a little more at this point. Then not saying the SEC is wrong, but Mike does weird stuff all the time where, like, maybe he hasn't decided on Thursday afternoon by Thursday night. He gives it to Sims, Alex Sims, that is, uh, if he ever listens to this. Hi. Uh, but what is that? Like, what do you make of that? I, I honestly don't um, make a ton of it because there's, it, it's not like he has a plethora of options to where he could go. One of two sure. things is happening. Uh, I'll disagree a little there. I think there is a world where Jack Gordy starts on Sunday. I texted uh, a friend and a listener that, so I, you're right. I stand corrected, but I don't find that likely. Do you? Um, 
Well, let's get into it. I think what Mike – here's what I think, Mike. Maybe I'm wrong, but this is what Colin Brister thinks Mike is thinking. Um, He has a very, very big advantage on uh, Friday and Saturday with with Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy. If I am him, I don't do anything that takes away that advantage. Like, on Sunday, regardless of who I throw – and I firmly believe this. This is Diamond, if this is Doherty, or if this is McDaniel. I'm going to have about the same advantage. Whoever I throw of those three is going to give me about the same opportunity to win. So I'm not going to hold any of those three back on Friday or Saturday to win a baseball game. If I think Drew McDaniel's slider can get them out in big situations, I'm going to use it. If if Derek Diamond's fastball can get them out in big situations, I'm going to use it. If if Jack Doherty's ability to locate three pitches in the strike zone can get people out and help me win on Friday or Saturday, I'm going to use it. Like, does that make sense? I'm not going to hold back because I think either of those three that I throw on Sunday right now is probably going to provide me the same thing. I agree. I think that point's well stated, but my counter to that would be, and this is probably just Mike being Mike, why not do that against Florida and Arkansas the last time you had uh, uncertainty in the number three slot? Because Mike didn't think there was uncertainty in the number three spot. He's the only one. But, yeah, that's a good point. I, that, I, it makes sense in that light. I just – I guess I when I – even I texted a buddy of mine that when he was saying that, you know, should you get riled up about this? I was like, no, not really. Like, it's probably him or Diamond. I guess there's a world Jack Doherty could start. Um, but that was really the only other way it was going to go. And you're right. Like, maybe you just kind of wait and see. It actually is a smart play, I think, in a lot of ways. I'm more just head-scratched to why he didn't do this a couple – of weekends in April, the only like the, my initial thought, the where my mind initially went was he's going to see what he has come Sunday and decide off at that point. And then the second thing yep. that popped into my mind immediately after that, do you think the way he's look? Derek Diamond was pretty good in 2020, and he was really good in his first start in 2021, and then he had a really horrendous stretch for about seven weeks there. But man, for the last month or so, I mean, he's got allowed one earned run over 11 innings with like two walks on like five hits or something something crazy like that. Maybe it's two earned runs. No, because the ones at LSU, against LSU were all earned runs, if I'm not mistaken. Well, no, the, the run he put on that wound up scoring on Broadway's homer was on him. So, so it was it's one two earned runs then because it's the one he gave up last weekend before he got the next six guys out or five guys out, sure. whatever it was. Do you think there's – my point being in th- saying that I was sitting there thinking about it. Do you think there's any way he saw what he's seen from Diamond and thinks, okay, let's just throw this back on Sunday because this kid well, was starter for a long time? Why didn't you name him as the Sunday starter then? Maybe because he listens to this podcast and he knows that you don't gain an advantage by doing that. <laughs> okay. If that's the rationale, then sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd be fine starting Diamond. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I would continue to start McDaniel because I think Diamond provides you more value in the bullpen. And like I said, between Diamond, Doherty, and McDaniel, I think you're going to get the same thing from a starting pitching perspective. Um, so I think to maximize your team, it's best to use Diamond in the bullpen, whatever. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I genuinely, we're going to see on Sunday. I figure Mike – well, I say Mike will get asked after the game on Friday night what, what the deal is. But, you know, last two times they've gone on the road, they weren't able to do media interviews. So who knows? We may just find out on Sunday with everybody else. Surely Kellum will ask him on the radio. Uh, he won't ask him on Friday night. He'll ask him on Saturday who he plans on starting. 
Yeah, that's fair, fair enough on that one. So you'll kind of, I guess, see who's starting on Sunday with the way this weekend plays out. I tend to agree. I think you're better off just keeping it. The, I would keep it the same unless you're really feeling confident in Doherty. Then I'll certainly listen to that as well. But sure. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, to me, Diamond has worked much better out of the bullpen than McDaniel. And I don't even think that's more so more on McDaniel than it is to just Diamond has fit better there and translated there better, which if you had asked me that during the season, I probably would have called you nuts. Excuse me, before the season. Sure. Um, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. I don't read a ton into it in that, you know, Mike's – the only thing I read into it is this. Uh, I don't think Mike will be scared to use Drew McDaniel on Friday or Saturday if it helps him win a baseball game. I don't think there is a world where, like, Drew McDaniel comes into the game where Derek Diamond did in Starville that night where they're behind in the eighth inning. I just don't think he's going to be scared to use him to win a game on Friday or Saturday is all this means. I think I, I we're on the same page with that. I, I firmly agree with that as well. Gun to your head, and if you get the answer wrong, you get shot. I don't know why I needed to explain the rules to that. Jesus. Game. Yeah, sorry. Gun to your head. You guess. You guess who pitches for Ole Miss on Sunday? Who is your guess? Oh, jeez. Um, Drew McDaniel. I think so too. I was going with the exact same thing. I don't think he ends up changing it, and if he did, something. Not something got crazy. Now, there was a very now, specific scenario to use in. Is it possible? Like, I think in, in 2021, we do need to say this. Is it possible he's not available? That's another part of it. Sure. Um, I don't know that. I have no insight and no reason to believe it. I'm just, it's 2021, COVID's out there. Is it just a possibility? That is certainly possible. That could be something. Uh, I mean, how in, in, in non COVID years, I feel like this has happened almost once a season where you get to a weekend and there's some screwy with the uh, with the pitching thing, and then you find out either the Thursday if they do the availability or Friday after the game that someone came down with the stomach bug or the flu. This team has more flus and stomach bugs than any other team – or this program, excuse me. They, uh, they probably need more Lysol wipes around. I swear they have more flu and stomach bug dudes on the mound than anyone else. And it doesn't look like switching bullpens has helped, so maybe dig into that conspiracy for a while. Uh, maybe you you think the flu a symptom might be that your arm's tired? <laughs> that's that's uh that's probably fair until I saw Ryan Olenek try to do an interview with like his sw- throat swollen, and uh, then I was like, "No, nah, this kid's sick." That was uh, that, remember? Oh, we can't tell that story. No, we, we can't. That, we're gonna go down a path we don't need to go. But I know exactly. <laughs> Wait, that goes down a path to us, maybe in a courtroom. Yeah, exactly. So I won't, I won't go that far, or at the very least, some angry parents if that ever got back to them. But it's nothing like off the rails. Like I, Ryan Olenek was very much Ryan Olenek. He's awesome. Dad, it's just, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not, just not going down that path. I'll just say he may not, have, may or may not have been a believer in Tylenol and uh, other things. We'll leave it at that. Anyway, we probably, yeah, you got to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. But I don't know. That that's a, anyway. I, I just took us off the rails with my conspiracy theory about the bullpens being contaminated out its way as you feel. But I, I do think it's probably at the end of the day, McDaniel, and I think they probably keeping it the same because he just came off a sweep where he had a tough start. He battled and kept you in the game. It was actually a pretty important reason why he came back to win the game because if South Carolina makes that deal 7 nothing, you're not out of it with that offense, but you never know with the flow of the game and how it goes. I just have a hard time believing he's changing it unless there's a very specific scenario, as you kind of outlined earlier, where they need McDaniel – and then the third option this that we haven't really covered hugely yet, but we did mention, is the Doherty angle. 
I wouldn't necessarily hate it against a bad team to see what the guy has, particularly if you won the first two and you haven't had to pitch him. But is there a certain element of – I don't want to say ease the kid into it because there's plenty, plenty of freshmen that have started since day one. But this is a freshman that ripped off the red shirt in early April. Like, is there is there a baby steps element to this to where, okay, he's been fine for a weekend or two out of the pen. Can we leave it at that for a month and then try him when you have to or something like that? I don't know what I'm getting at. Do you, does that make any sense? I'm going to change my answer to the gun to my head. Now that I'm just sitting here thinking this out loud, I think I'm going to change my answer. I think Jack Doherty starts on Sunday. Really? Yeah. And and here's my reason why. Um, and, and this probably sounds stupid saying it out loud. And and I have no insight. I want to be clear on that. I have no insight. My, my thing is I think that if Mike was going to start Drew McDaniel on Sunday, obviously he would announce that he's going to start Drew McDaniel on Sunday. Which – so – I think if Mike knew for 100% who he was going to start, Mike's never been one, like you said, that you would do. Uh, you would go TBA, TBA, TBA. Uh, Mike's been never been one to do that. Like, he's going to usually be straight up with who he plans on throwing. So, I don't think necessarily Mike knows who he's throwing on Sunday. But if he was confident it was Drew McDaniel, then he would announce Drew McDaniel. So, he's not. And, and I think – and, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing here – that Derek Diamond is going to have to – I'll say this. Derek Diamond threw on Tuesday against Arkansas Little Rock. If he was going to start Derek Diamond on Sunday, I have a hard time believing Derek Diamond would have been the one to close that game. Just, you know, may, maybe I'm wrong. But I have a hard time to believe it, believing that. So then the options are Doherty or McDaniel. Well, if he's 100% McDaniel, then he would have just said McDaniel. Um, I think Doherty – is the guy that if they don't use him on Friday or Saturday, that they start on Sunday. I, I think that's what – I think just kind of playing that out in my head now, I think he may be the guy that starts on Sunday if they don't have to use him on Friday or Saturday. Okay, so after listening to you they say that, I, I that makes a lot of sense. My counter to the Arkansas State thing is, do you think Mike wanted to pitch him on uh, – Derek Diamond on Tuesday? Do you think uh, – Holy shit, we better not lose to the Red Wolves. Can you please? Well, Wes Burton was out there and hadn't pitched in a week and a half for some reason. So that my, my answer would be, yeah, I think you wanted to pitch him because Wes Burton was out there to close the game if it, if it got screwy. Okay, counter to your counter, Mike clearly does not like Wes Burton. He doesn't. He does not. <laughs> We've been over this. There's no okay, yeah, he doesn't. But, like, he threw Braden Forsythe and Mitch Morrell in that game. Like, you know. But it wasn't 15-12 like when he threw them. Do what? It wasn't 15 to 12 when he threw them. I mean, my God. I just – I'm trying to put my myself in the shoes of the angry little man in the dugout over there when it's 15 to 12. And well, I can tell you what – He would have blown a gasket watching – I'm just saying he would have blown a gasket watching watching Wes Burton and his antics and all that stuff blow a 15 to 12 lead. In the midweek to Arkansas State, that little clipboard he looks at with the reading glasses would have been through a wall. Well, I just think it, like, I wonder if someone looked at him and was like, "You got to start Diamond because you're freaking people out over here." Not start him. You got to put him in because I th- someone in that dugout would have been like, "God forbid, West Burton's goofy ass comes in here and blows it. Our manager might have an aneurysm." Well, he's better than me because at fifteen to twelve, if it's me and I'm playing an RPI bomb, uh, Broadway's on the mouth. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not losing that game. I'm going to hate myself, but I'm not losing that game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
I guess that's a whole other conversation, though. But, yeah, so I, I, I actually – I'm not changing my answer just for the sake of it because uh, you came up with the theory. But there's probably something to the fact that Doherty being as dominant as he was over a, a fairly lengthy – not fairly lengthy, a long relief stretch in game three against South Carolina. I mean, do you think it's almost as simple as I'll go TBA – just because I don't know for sure, but like, can we start the game with what that kid just did instead of get behind? Yeah. Um, just talking to myself out loud, I find myself agreeing with myself. I think it's going to be Jackson. I find myself agreeing with you more. Like I said, I'm not going to switch it up just for the principle because I was not smart enough to come up with theory as we're doing this on a podcast. But if you're going to do the TBA thing with McDaniel, isn't it after LSU sells him? Because he kind of yeah. – kind of showed something not letting it totally get away against South Carolina. That's not the weekend you go TBA, right? No, he's going to start Jack Doherty on Sunday. I, 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 I really now that I've talked this out, really believe that. Unless there's a situation where, hey, Hoagland and Casey have to come out after 5.2 and we got to do something to get it to Broadway. But, I mean, there's a world now where uh, you use three pitchers on Friday and Saturday because A&M hit can't hit. Like, there's a world where Gunnar Hoagland goes eight, Broadway shuts it down, Nikhazy goes seven, Broadway shuts it down, and you got everybody left for Sunday. Sure. So at that point – South Carolina's not great, but they're a better hitting team than A&M, and there's a world where you could have had that going in the game. Yes, if Gunnar doesn't get tired, that's what happens. Right, exactly. And honestly, uh, if you really – no, I guess that's a bridge too far because Gunnar only went six. But exactly, you were three outs away from actually that being a possibility through the first two games last weekend. Right. Um, so, I just – you know, and, and if, if it's me and that situation arises, I'd have a hard time not start, starting Doherty. I really would. I'd have a real hard time not starting him. Okay. So, now that we talked this out, uh, if this doesn't happen, you never heard this. <laughs> Put it on rewind. Please, please, please don't DM me. Yeah. So you my, my best case for me is Doherty pitches on Friday or Saturday, and I can just say, well, that's not what happened then. Yeah, fair enough. But I, I, but maybe in all seriousness, though, as we kind of talk that out more and more, because I, you know, having a day job as a grease salesman these days, I can't think about these things all day now. But now, the more and more he fussed that out, that has to be his thinking that he wants to do it. It's just a matter of fact of whether can he do it because. Essentially what it comes down to is because I think Diamond is the first guy out of the pit unless you're going uh, directly to Taylor Broadway. Would you agree with that? Mm, well, all right, let's, let's present a scenario. Uh, Gunner comes out after 6.1 and the Rebels are up 4-2. to two. Who do you think he gives the ball? Derek Diamond. You don't think it's Doherty? Okay, so that, I guess that kind of plays into the second part of my theory. No, I think it would be Derek Diamond, particularly okay. the way he's pitched. I think he has more pelts on the wall than a kid that was redshirting five weeks ago. And I think okay. like, that, that definitely matters to Mike. If there's anything proven about that is that experience kind of matters. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying that would be a bad choice. Just be getting in the headspace of Mike Banco, I think he's the first one out of the pen. And so after that, it's trying to see what you can – if things go according to plan, it's seeing what you can get through on Saturday. And it doesn't even matter. But my thinking is, is, is Mike thinks he trusts Diamond out of the pen, first one out of the pen. So it's can he get to Sunday to start Doherty? If he can't, he can't. He just goes to McDaniel. Is that like boil it down to its core? Don't you think that's the thinking here? If you take Diamond yeah. out of the equation, yeah, I just got a real like mind pretzel because on my TV, uh, a Bianco just got an RBI single, and I'm like, well, I, I just kind of got confused there for a second. Um, but yeah, 
I, That's uh, his son, by the way. Yeah, his other son, uh, Michael, I don't know how they did. He uh, He's in the North Half Championship with Kirk this week. So, um, good for him. But a lot of bunting. Do what? A lot of bunting. Wait, really? No, I have no idea. I just Yeah, I don't take Michael as much as a bunner. Um, <laughs> but – yeah, no, I, I think it's fair. It's it's gonna be interesting. Um, that, I think that's the story of the weekend. Is who's the first guy out of the pen if you need to bridge it to to Broadway? The the bridge last week was Tyler Myers, uh, and Derek Diamond. So, like you said, uh, Diamond was the first guy out of the pen last week, and but it was a five run game. Does is that different if it's a three run game? Uh, who knows? So, we'll see. I, I I don't think Ole Miss is going to run a And M off all weekend because they're. You know, motto hasn't been that they get drug. I think they play tight games. They just don't usually win them. So, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, but I'm interested, like you said, to see who the first guy out of the pen is. For sure. That got deep. I did not spend anticipating spending 20 minutes on that. But, hey, there we are. Um, we saw You know them. how you said – you know how you said uh, Kentucky could blow it? They did. They blew it. Yes. <laughs> it's 5-5 five, five now. I don't think that would have changed our picks – Anyway, um, the last thing for we kind of jump around some mailbag questions, kind of look around the SEC and stuff. Just uh, uh, general thoughts offensively, looking like what you're looking for from Ole Miss this weekend. Um, yeah, I kind of hit it off the top. Maybe potential with two lefties going a big opportunity for Ben Van Cleef. I am not. I have not bought Ben Ben Van Cleef stock. I would sell that shit to anyone that would buy it. You are against left-handed pitching. To each their yeah. own. Uh, so this is kind of his ch- – not his chance, but if he wants to be a factor going down the stretch, this is a big weekend for him, though. Yeah, no, look, I mean, he, he didn't play last weekend at all against South Carolina. Um, right-handed pitching dom- dominant team. Um, he, he was hitting 400 the past two weekends before that against Mississippi State and LSU. He's kind of kind of hitting it well. Um, so, yeah, you know, you're going to start two lefties. I expect him to be the DH those two games because uh, I think that puts Leatherwood in right field. Um, and I think that puts uh, Van Cleef as your DH against two left-handed pitchers. Now, obviously, we don't know what uh, A&M is going to do on Sunday, so uh, to be determined there. But, you know, one of their better bullpen's arms is uh, Joe Zouac. So, he'll, he's a left-handed guy. So, yeah, I think Ben Van Cleef is going to get plenty of at-bats this weekend, and, and we'll see. So, hopefully for him, he continues what he did against Arkansas, or excuse me, against Mississippi State and LSU, because that would be a really big help for Ole Miss. Yes, yeah, so the ripple effect of that is kind of what I wanted to get into. Next is we were kind of, uh, you know, thumping the drum, whatever phrase you want to use about Ole Miss's best lineup being as kind of crumbling in the field and going with Leatherwood at DH. Obviously, I mean, Ben Bankley can't play the field. He just he, That's just not happening. There's no, there's no way in the world that he's out anywhere out there in the field. How do you think he weighs that? I think he would play Ben Ben Van Cleve, obviously, but I also, at the end of the day, you know, matchups aside, I, I believe the the latter, the Leatherwood at DH is Ole Miss's best lineup. So, like, how do you think that plays out? It sounds like we probably see that once at most. Wait, say that again. So, what do you think the ripple effect of that is? Because last weekend, if I'm not mistaken, twice he went with Leatherwood at DH, probably yeah. in right. Uh, Plumley in the outfield it doesn't matter. I would have him play center. I'm not going to stump. I'm not going to stump for that again. We've done that nine times on this show. But how do you think that affects that? Because I agree. As much as I'm not buying Ben Van Cleef stock, I'd probably try him out against the two left-handers. But to me, it sounds like at best you're getting that Leatherwood DH lineup once this weekend. Do you think that's a good move? Uh, 
well, I mean, are you getting it? I don't think you get it uh, on Friday and Saturday. I think you probably do on Sunday. That's um, what I'm saying. At most, it happens one time. Yeah. Um, but what if Ben Van Cleve goes four for eight with a homer? And I know he's never hit the ball out of the ballpark. Let's just get crazy here. Um, give him a homer. I mean, then do you start him against the right-handed pitcher? Um, so, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I was a little surprised that Plumlee got uh, two starts last weekend. Um, but I've been surprised before. So, we'll see. I, I I tend to think that it probably happens on Sunday. And, and I think it's fine if Ben Van Cleve doesn't have a great first two games. Um, so, it gives you your best defensive lineup. We'll see. Um, I I think it's yeah, like you like I said. I if they start a right hander on on Sunday, I expect that lineup to be out there for sure, though. Okay, so then the third element of that is the, the man that held the shit out of a clipboard for a month is no longer holding a clipboard. I don't think they're sticking him out in the field. So if you're giving two starts to Ben Van Cleve at DH, what does that do to Tim Elko's chances this weekend? And um, not that we jumped the shark in the Sunday pod last weekend at all, but we did talk about the swing look fine. From what everything Mike talked about, he sounds confident in the kid's ability to DH a couple of times, but it seems like particularly with the matchup this weekend, you're going to get another pitch pinch hit weekend uh, out of him, and then if you really want to let him loose, Vandy's the time to do it. I think if if he's ready, you do it this weekend against left-handed pitching. I, I That's it's okay. I, I never so really how, considered that. How does the that. math work on that? So – uh, well, Ben Van Cleve just doesn't get his spot. Um, it's okay. Really, that's that's that simple. I, I when I talked about Van Cleve, I'd never considered Tim Elko. I'm still in the headspace of he's not available. Right. Um, me, me too. Which makes this, which makes the lineup construction about as interesting as it's been in the last two months. Like, how does because you're squeezing? You know, give, give Tim Elko two ACLs. I know you wouldn't be in this situation, but just 100 percent Tim Elko from a plate perspective. Giving Van Cleve those at-bats squeezes by, you know, in theory, your best hitter. Yeah, sure. No, if, if Tim Elko's available to DH, he will be DH, especially against left-handed pitching over uh, Ben Van Cleve. So, um, my thing is, I if he's ready, then I do it Friday night. Um, my question would be, if he's ready, why did he not DH on, on Tuesday? Um, and I guess you could answer that question with, uh, the field was wet, you idiot. And I would say, okay, you're probably right. Um, if he's ready, I'd DH him. If he's not, I'd DH Ben Van Cleve the first two games. But I think, you know, I do think, like we said, I think at some point this year, Tim Elko is your everyday DH. Agree. And actually, that, that, I, you made a good point about the Tuesday thing, and that's something that I was uh, in the process of writing for tomorrow's newsletter as well. Is Part of that that factors into it is I think they're careful with them. I say careful. Letting him get into back into the water slowly uh, for one more weekend because of the two left-handers and because you have a halfway decent option in Van Cleve if you look at the numbers. I've never disagreed with you on the left-handed numbers thing. I just still don't like the way it looks, and my brain won't get past that. So given the fact that they're throwing two lefties in a row, I, don't you think they probably – like we'll go to the gun-to-your-head argument again. I don't need to explain the rules. But – Gun to your head, they're probably easing him in slow at least for the first two games again this weekend and then let him loose next weekend? Probably. Can you get, um, him, can you get him two more pinch hit at bats and then maybe a Sunday start to see how it looks before just throwing him straight in when you have the Van Cleve option against left-handed pitching, if that makes sense? All right, here's my thing. Um, maybe I'm crazy here. If, if he can pinch hit, and I'm just talking out loud, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. He can pinch hit. 
Like, let's just say that he can pinch hit. He can obviously go up to the plate and hit. So the issue is they're running, okay? Um, if he can pinch hit, why not DH him? And then if you have to run for him in the second inning, you have to run for him in the second inning. Um, but he's not guaranteed to get on base his first time at bat, so you can keep, keep him in the DH spot. And then let's pretend like, hey, he's the fourth hitter and uh, he's the DH and he hits a single uh, with nobody on and, you know, two outs and w- whatever. Well, then he just stands on first base and he jogs to second if somebody hits it. Like, I, I just – my thing has always been if he's good enough to pinch hit, then I kind of struggle to understand where he can't at least DH for a few at-bats. So you DH Elko, and then if he gets on base in the first or second time up and you don't feel comfortable running, you pinch hit him, and then Van Cleve's just the DH the rest of the game? Sure, sure. I I just kind of think if I'm going to give multiple at-bats to somebody, that it should be Tim Elko. Fair enough. Can we, uh, just for entertainment's sake, can we step, skip one step in the lineup card and just have Van Cleve run for him? Oh, God. <laughs> Trey LaFleur doesn't have anything to do. That's a, good, that's a good point. I don't think Cade Sammons has a ton to do either. But uh, I guess that's a de- more of a defensive option late. So, anyway, that's a fascinating. I think a lineup construction will play a, a pretty big factor into this weekend. And that doesn't mean that, like, you know, the way they do it is necessarily going to cost them a series. I just think he has a lot of options, and I, I'm interested to see the way uh, number five handles it. So, I, I will say if, you know, Mike puts his lineup out, like, what, two hours before the game? Uh, <laughs> yes. He says this is how we'll line up against so-and-so in this graphic. Yeah. He clearly Photoshopped himself because he's well-versed in that. I do think – I was told – you may have been told differently, and you can tell me if so. I was told he actually does make that tweet. Uh, no, he runs his own Twitter. I can guarantee you Mike did not construct the graphic. No, no, no. He doesn't make the graphic, but someone, like, texts him the graphic, and he, he makes the tweet. Absolutely. Uh, Mike runs his own Twitter. I've, I've had that confirmed a couple of times. You know what? One time, as bad as he hates me, I wrote that, that story. Yeah, he did a good job. Yeah, I wrote that. This, I wrote that uh, that story on those two Ortega brothers. Which uh, teaser? Stay tuned, maybe for something else in the coming weeks on that potentially. Uh, but he he got a hold of the story, I guess. But he like quote tweeted me. Uh, doesn't follow me. We had, I think we had a short run there where that was a thing, but quickly that unfollowed. But then just said, check it out on at BS Rippy as if I'm like the World Wide Web. I'm my own <laughs> website. So check it out. On the Google Chrome or on the Brian Scott Rippey. <laughs> That's what he described as on and then at my uh, Twitter handle. So that was uh, that was some savvy interneting from Mr. Bianco himself. Before but, spend- I will I will say this. He tweets that lineup about like two hours before. If he tweets out that Tim Oko is going to be the DH, like I'm going to be so anxious for the next two hours waiting for to see that dude swing a bat. Like I, I, I don't know what I'll do with myself for two hours because I am ready to see my man swing it and see my man run. Like, I just want to see what it looks like. Look to Mike's credit. Uh, you know, Mike got on Twitter. Uh, you know, he's, I know he's not tech savvy. We've gone over that. He, he, he did the whole news. I told that story about him looking at Davis Potter. and was like, you're the only one I read. And he was like, thanks. And he was like, no, that's just because you're the local paper. I don't read anything else. As old-fashioned as he is, Mike has actually utilized Twitter as a pretty good tool. He almost has 50,000 Twitter followers. And I don't put a ton of stock in that, particularly with media people, because a lot of it's fake. But when you're trying to like grow your brand as a college baseball coach, um, particularly as untech savvy as he is, he got on Twitter early and he keeps it simple. He retweets a lot of, you know, coach cliched stuff. He encourages other people on campus and he tweets out the lineup. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is 
you know, the, one of the most untech savvy coaches on campus has actually figured out Twitter early and uses it you, quite well. You, you say that. You say he does a good job of it, but he also almost gave me a heart attack two weeks ago tonight when he tweets out a lineup with Derek Diamond as the starting pitcher and no explanation. But, but it was true. It was, it was sticking to his brand. Mike tweets energy whatever, game day whatever when he wakes up in the morning, and then just random stuff encouraging other people and random quote stuff from other coaches. He, he tweets nothing else and he stays on brand. But you got to give the guy credit. He does a good job of using social media. Like people sure. use his Twitter account for lineups and stuff like that. He's no Lane Kiffin, but uh, no. I mean, Matt Luke wasn't doing that. that. That's probably a good example. Okay, maybe I've been off the internet today, but Albert Pujols got released. He did. He got DFA'd um, by, the, uh, by the Angels this morning. Seems kind of crappy. Like, why would you do it now? And Like, you knew he was going to perform like this before the year. Could have done it before the year. Whatever. Yeah, I think they've got more offensive depth. They were holding out hope because of the amount of money they were paying him. And then it was like, nah, sorry, bro. And uh, honestly, it, it, I was reading a couple of stories on that. And we'll, we'll get back to the topics here in a second. I was reading a couple of stories on that. He's got a couple good options. I don't think the Cardinals sign him, but it's certainly a realistic possibility. It's also a possibility the Kansas City Royals sign him because they kind of have a need for that. And it's also, a particularly with the Lewis Robert injury, um, he could go reunite with Tony La Russa in Chicago. Oh, that would be fun. So I think they did that knowing that he had a few options. I'll put it that way. And I think it just wasn't a good fit anymore. And they were paying him a ton of money. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah, they've got to be happy to be out of that contract. That's one of the worst contracts in sports ever. And I, so I didn't know, you know, when he signed that deal, I was like, good God, they're going to be paying him till 2030 or whatever it was. It wasn't actually that, not doing the math, but it seemed that way. Did you know that's actually the last year of that contract? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They've got to be happy to be out of that thing. I guess that's as good of a baseball indicator that I'm getting old because I remember when he signed that thinking, what the hell are they doing, one and two? Like, this contract's never going to end, and I've lived to see it end. So, and he was he was legit pretty much terrible the entire extent of it. Uh, yes, he was. I mean, they gave him all that money after 30. Like, of course he was. You know, he, yeah. you go back and look at it. He's 31, 32 years probably, and I'm just guessing – weren't as bad but given what he was before that it was a huge drop off and then you just yeah. kind of are what you are after that right I mean yeah I don't know it's a really bad deal uh people probably don't want to hear me talk about pool holes anymore though anyway reeling it back in we'll hit these mailbag questions make some picks and get out of here any final thoughts on Ole Miss this weekend uh what do you I'm not gonna go gun to your head again we should only do that a couple times a show uh, if you could argue you shouldn't do it at all uh what do you think happens this weekend prediction Ole Miss wins two. Should I say A&M, too? Because I picked South Carolina. Yes, yes. You, you, we're, we're superstitious around here. You're going to pick the Aggies to win two. Okay, South Carolina two, wink. Wait, it's no, you, you, you said South Carolina. you got to pick A&M. Sorry, A&M two, this is me winking at you in the car. I did pick South Carolina last weekend because they had gotten so bad for Ole Miss. I was just like, you know what? I'd like to see them actually beat a quality opponent, and they did. So, good on them. Um, so, A&M two, thank me later. Wink, wink. Um, Let's see. Let's get to these mailbag questions. We'll make some picks sure. and get out of here. Um, let's see. Where are we going to start with this? Good mailbag response, by the way, from the listeners after a couple weeks off. I was very impressed with the turnout. Well, Dan you know, Mike says that uh, – he said that after the game on Tuesday, it doesn't matter if you pitched in a month or not, you still got to be able to get it done. So we gave them some time off, and they were still able to get it done. They did. We gave them some time off. They were better than the Ole Miss bullpen. That's scientific. <laughs> so <laughs> – 
So Dan, who is at the Judge 99, says, we, I assume he's talking about Ole Miss, currently sixth in the SEC. Yep. What needs to happen for Ole Miss to get a national seat? Is it as simple as get to 19 or 20 wins yep. or need some other teams to start losing? Uh, so the, I'll, I'll pretty much uh, cut off the first and last sentence of your question, though your question's not a bad one. Their standing overall in the SEC makes little to no difference. Uh, that No one's factoring that in to be, them being a national seed. Uh, the middle part, or two, that's, I'll go to the end. I don't think they necessarily need other teams to start losing yet because I think Colin and I are aligned in the sense that I don't necessarily buy into the whole they're not getting five national seeds, they being the SEC. I just think they should award it to the good teams. I think they start doing that with bids and stuff, but maybe not necessarily the national seeds. Uh, and then the middle part, do they need to get to 19 or 20 wins? Uh, I think 19 seals it. And if, if Ole Miss is not a national uh, seed at 20, someone should, someone's going to prison. Yeah, it might be me. Um, so 19, uh, here's what I'll say about 19. Yes, 19 can get it done, but two of the 19 better be against Vanderbilt, right? So, like, I don't think there's a world where you can go 5-1 and one against a and and Georgia and then 1-1 against Vanderbilt and get one. But I do think if you go 2-2-2, two, two, and two, you get one. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I'll just throw it – I'll throw a question back at the, the feed that off of you. In a normal year, 18, you're a slam dunk national seed most of the time, barring nothing. What's different about this year? Bar, barring competing against LSU for it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, oh, yeah, the 16 team. That well, yeah. I, I saw how you snuck that in there. We're, we're good for those – one of those to show. That's still uh, so jarring. But in all seriousness – What's different about this year? Um, well, here's what's different about this year. I mean, you look at a team like Mississippi State, who has gotten, what, three sweeps now. Ole Miss has three sweeps. Uh, Vanderbilt's been able to sweep LSU and, and Missouri. Uh, teams have swept. So you, it, the, the records have been a little bit inflated. The bottom of the league's not good. You're able to beat up on it. So everybody beats up on it, and it, it kind of just moves the necessary number to me again. Um, and – you know, it is what it is. It's when, when the top of the league is this good, uh, it moved the necessary number a little bit. And I think the necessary number has been moved to, to nine now uh, – or 19, excuse me. But you're saying um, 19's not even set in stone depending on who it is. Do what? You're saying for Ole Miss, 19's not set in stone depending on who it's against. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that. I, I – well, I mean, in, in fairness, too, Ole Miss does not need to go – Oh, and three against the other national seeds from the SEC. Like, that's not a good look. Um, and then oh, lose and the series, series to Florida. Wise, talking about. Do what? Oh, and three series wise. Just for right. Listening right. Out there. And then, you, don't, you know, you lose the other series to Florida, who's probably going to be a host team. That's, that's not a good look. Um, so, you know, I, I just kind of think they need to win that Vanderbilt series and, and get to 19. Um, yes, there is a path. And I will say this. I kind of went in and looked at this this week. It's going to be really hard for other teams from other conferences if Ole Miss is able to win six games with two of them being against Vanderbilt. It's going to be really hard from teams from other conferences to be able to match that or overcome that considering what teams from – like what Texas Tech has nothing left to build their resume, really. Texas has TCU this weekend, but past that, they don't have anything to build their resume. Like, it's just going to be really hard to overcome uh, a six and three Ole Miss team. So I kind of feel comfortable that if six and three, I'll say this: I think Ole Miss has a really good shot at six and three, regardless of the six to be a national seed. I think Ole Miss is a bona fide lock at six and three with a series win over Vanderbilt. 
Fair enough. That that's a good way to put it. It's just kind of wild. I agree, and I, I think you're dead on with the, with the change being the top heavy nature of the league. Because I mean, my God, when's the last time you've seen two teams at five and sixteen in the SEC West at this point, and the third one above them at seven and fourteen? I mean, it, sure. it really is a bizarre year in that sense, particularly when one of those records I just listed belongs to LSU. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the crazy part. Hell yeah, you you couldn't have paid like if someone had told me that going into February, I would have I, I don't know what I would have thought. I would have thought they I don't know. I I was about to weave in something about the pandemic in there, but that doesn't even make sense. It would have just broken my brain. We'll put it that way. Um <laughs> Kenneth Collins, Rebel Fan 68, put in the work for a mailback Friday this week. He asked a ton of questions. We'll just roll through his <laughs> rapid fire. Purely based off the experience, would you rather would you rather be Friday a Saturday starter, Sunday starter, or closer for a top 10 college baseball team? Oh, oh! so he's, he's giving us athletic ability. What would you rather be as a baseball player? I'll let you start because you played baseball. All right, so Friday starter, Saturday starter, closer. Was there another option? Any of the three rotational spots in closer. Okay. Uh, Friday night starter. I, I would like to know when I'm pitching, and I'd like to be good enough to be a Friday night starter. I'd go closer just because I don't really give a damn about how good I am, but if I'm assuming I'm pretty good if I'm a closer for a top 10 team and you get to do the cool deal if you win the national title, just put the ball in your back pocket. You steal it from the catcher and that's over with. That's kind of cool. Making the last out. Jay's baseball coach when I was in high school made the last out of the 97 World Series. He talks about it all – not talks about it all the time, but, like, people know he's known for that. Jay Powell. Um, So – for the Florida Marlins, by the way, can you imagine winning a World Series for the Marlins? That'd be kind of wild. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yes, I'll go closer. Friday night starter is probably the best answer, though. Uh, pitching matchup you're most looking forward to, Hogan Rocker or Nikhazy Leiter? I'm going to go Nikhazy Leiter because I think Doug would absolutely wear this big-ass chip on his shoulder for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the other ones, but, like, you have to understand the man crush that I have on Gunnar Hogan. Like, I am sad to think about that. That in the regional is going to be the last two times. Well, unless super. That, I'm sad to think about the limited opportunities I have to watch Gunnar Hoagland pitch in Swayze Stadium uh, or Sway, it's Swayze Field. That I, I have enjoyed watching that kid pitch just from – I mean, you think about it. I mean, I'm an Ole Miss fan. They, the kid turned down like $2.5 million to pitch uh, at my alma mater. Like, I, I have just thoroughly enjoyed watching that kid pitch. So, watching him pitch against a guy like Kumar in his last regular season start against uh, – or at, at Ole Miss is going to be going to be fun to watch. For sure. I, I mean, there's no qualms about it. It's really just pick your favorite. And, you know, sure. that's one of the things we talked about the Ole Miss-Vanderbilt series. Well, however that turns out, the two pitching matchups are going to be must-see television for two days. That is going to be incredible. It's two extremely similar teams, too. Uh, they both have really good guys, obviously, on Friday and Saturday, and they both have a really good closure. And past that in the bullpen, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, that is very true. I'm uh, I'm actually coming back to Oxford for that series. How about that? Are you? We will, we will have to grab a beer. Yeah, we know. We definitely will. I just uh, broke that news on the podcast. I booked the flight last night, took the day off work. So how about that? Um, <laughs> so we'll, uh, I'll be back for that series. I'm looking forward to it. Um that's uh yeah we will maybe uh i was about to say a live show but now, i don't think that'd be such a great idea now fr- friday and saturday i am i'm going to be at swayze 
<laughs> oh, of course that. I didn't mean during the game. Maybe a lot of game show. That's what I was thinking was a bad idea. So, you know what? Scratch <laughs> that whole idea. We will get a beer off camera. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. Who are the potential first-rounders on Ole Miss's roster other than Hoagland? Uh, Nikhazy. Um, Dunhurst. There's a world where he really finds himself and Derek Diamond's one. Um, Jerion Ely, does that count? Like, if he, like, continues to play well? Or you could throw that in there as a wild card. Not, not Jerion Ely. If he plays well next year, he could be one. Yeah, I mean, we're talking 21 and 22 draft, right? We obviously, sure. but that was not I mean, with the uh, dust and everything else. What about Jacob Gonzalez in 2023? No, but the kid in center field, I can buy. Interesting, really, McCants. Yeah, I, I just kind of think Jacob's going to grow into a third baseman. Um, and you're going to have – look, I think Jacob's a really good hitter, but you're going to have to mash to, to – I mean, I, I – Yes, Jacob Gonzalez is a potential one. I if you told me Jacob Gonzalez or TJ McCants one is their first round pick, I'd pitch I'd pick McCants. Fair enough. I don't think there's anyone else. I think we just covered them all. I, nothing else yeah. now, right? No. I mean the yeah, no. no. You're down one run in the bottom of the ninth. You get to make the batting order for the next four hitters. You can pick anyone who played at Ole Miss over the last ten years. What's your batting order? You ask this guy, Casey Till who's on the mound, like what arm did they throw with? He said right-hander. So I'll leave yeah. the floor to you first. Um, all right. Well, when, when we think about this question, there, there's one name that I would hope is in everybody's lineup. Do, do you know who that name is? Mm. There, there's one name that, like, I don't think is arguable that you, you, you have to put this guy in the lineup. He, to me, has the best at bats. Uh, from anybody that's played at Ole Miss in the past 10 years. Hayden Dunhurst? Okay. He was in my four, but that, that's not who I'm thinking of. Nick Fortes. Fair, fair. Yeah. I think that's Nick, a really good one. Nick Fortes is going to be my second guy. Um, I went through and kind of uh, went through this with a friend. J.B. Woodman's going to lead off. Nick Fortes is going to hit second. Hayden Dunhurst is going to hit third. And then my fourth one is a debate between all right so i have to ask like what are what are we basing this off of are we basing this off of their entirety of their career or when they were good that like i get them at their peak when they're good does that make sense um, the entirety of the career entirety of the career is keen and if i get uh at their peak i take tim elka okay so the only one i had different i had didn't have Fortez, but I don't disagree. That was honest to God, just an oversight, which is stupid because I watched that kid for three years hit every single time he's up to the plate. I had Keenan, Dunhurst, Woodman, and then my fourth, and maybe it's just because I'm completely partial, was just the fact that leading off that inning, I would actually kind of – I would love to have Will Golson. Yeah, he's going to give why. you a good at bat. Yeah, hell yeah, he's going to give you a good at bat. And that dude hits and hits and hits and really doesn't give a damn what the situation was. <laughs> I don't know if that could back up from a numbers perspective, but I don't know yeah. why anytime that kid was at the plate, you well, feel confident that he's going to give you a good at bat or go down. That's the that's. I remember sitting in a press box um, when Ole Miss was playing. I guess it was when uh, Tennessee Tech and Missouri State was playing. And I was sitting by Chase, and I asked him that year, you got to remember, that 2018 offense was insane. I was like, 
if you got one guy to get a hit to get you to Omaha, I was like, who do you go with? He's like, Fortes. I'm like, all right, well, who's second? And you got to remember, like, Greg Kessinger, Thomas Dillard, Cole Zabowski, Tyler Keenan, uh, all on this team and all matched. He's like, I think it's Will Golson. It's like, yeah, it's probably Will Golson because he is going to give you an at bat, by God. You are not going to get an easy and cheap out out of him. He, he's a New Hope kid, isn't he? Yes, yes. Very so New I, Hope. I did a story on him that 18 season before the season, just kind of, you know, pointing out the consistency and the amount of positions he's played and the one constant being through all that, that he plays more than confident defense and just hits and hits and hits. And I talked to his high school coach for that. And I, I can't I can't remember the guy's name. He was a Three great boys. Yeah, that's exactly who it was. I wonder if I still have his number. <laughs> he's like – he goes, we do scrimmages sometimes in the fall, and that man would go weeks without getting out. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? He was like, I mean, he would go weeks without being retired in one of these scrimmages. I was like, good Lord, man, actual weeks. He's like, I promise you, I could probably go well, back up if you don't believe me. But yeah, we- um, that though, like as someone that, that played with a div- guy that played Division One baseball in high school, that's, that's really impressive. You got to be really good to do that. But if you are really good, like that makes a lot of sense because like you got to understand, those dudes that played D1 baseball in high school, every freaking thing they hit, they hit it hard. Like, they, there's no, like, 70-mile-an-hour exit velocity in high school baseball with those dudes. They just – frankly, there's sometimes that when those guys are up there, it's just – it's a safety issue for people at third base. Fair enough. My one add-on to that would be if Mike Bianco told me Will Golson went two weekends without being retired in an Ole Miss fall scrimmage, I wouldn't totally not believe it. Yeah, have you seen this bullpen? <laughs> that and that man just hit and hit it in. That was a uh, good question by listener Casey Till. You're the head football coach at Ole Miss. Who would be on your football staff if you had to comprise it of only former players to current players, former players from 2008 to now? So coaching staff with current players to uh, CJ oh. Johnson. Okay. Um, Bo Wallace. I like both those. Um, I don't really know what he does after life, but I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I would want Patrick Willis coaching my linebackers. He, 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 was, he won he an 08. He cut. He was before that shit. <laughs> um, Enrique Davis. And I'm naming guys that I know coach. Uh, Enrique Davis. He's going to be my running backs coach. Um, Dante Moncrief can coach my receivers. I'll give you that. Moncrief can coach my receivers. That's fair. He's uh, at that camp, and he actually – I did a story on him, and his, you know, his cousin was a hell of a running back for Raleigh High School for a yeah. while, and he was big, like, coaching him on how to kind of handle himself and stuff. So, I, I yeah. like that. Yeah, Moncrief can coach my receivers, tight ends. I don't really know. Uh, that's, that's tough. Um, Bradley Sowell could coach my offensive line. I don't really know. Like, um, you know, I know he retired this year. I'm thinking of guys that aren't in the NFL because I'm not, I can't go get guys from the NFL to come coach college football. That's not how it works. I think you uh, there's no rules here because there's no scenario no that rules. ever happened. I was because I was okay. going to say uh, uh, Golson coaches the secondary, but I'd actually rather it be Mike Hilton. Okay, Mike Hilton's a good secondary coach for sure. Um, linebacker, uh, just let Momo coach him. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. I I I'll be honest. I I need. I don't have a good answer for any of these, to be honest with you. But C.J. Johnson and Bo Wallace would be on my staff. I know that. I'm trying to think of linebacker. What would be a good option? Um, uh, D.T. Shackelford. 
Yes, that's a good one. The only other one that came to mind was Sedarius Bryant, but I don't even know what he does. DT uh, shop. So that was an interesting question. That would that hurt my brain to rack my name. I rack for name. <laughs> How bad will Saban beat Jimbo? So this is in reference to what that's going to get bad. So okay, but what do you want Jimbo Fisher to say? Not that. Okay, well he's in front of a bunch of boosters. What do you want him to be like? Actually, we suck. We're not going to beat Alabama. No. Did you see that eleven and one last year? That was sweet. We could do that again. No, but you don't say. Yeah, we're going to kick Alabama's ass. No, you're not. You're going to get your teeth kicked in like everybody else. Like, shut up. I mean, you can say you can, we're going we're we're here. We're going to go to win the football game, but. You can't say that. Now Saban's going to be in my 62, and it's going to be not fun for anybody. Fair enough. They do go to College Station next fall. Mm, they're going to win. Actually, I don't – yeah, truly they do because that won't – Yeah, it's in College Station. Yeah. Um, let's see. You're late night on a fast food run. Where do you go? Well, if I'm in Oxford, it's chicken on a stick. Anywhere else? Chicken on a stick, yeah. Whataburger, if there's one there. You a Waffle House guy? I do like Waffle House. That's a good one. But he said fast food. I don't necessarily consider that uh, fast food, but that's a good okay. – that is a very good one. Yeah. Yeah, you can't consider that fast food. I'm actually an early man. morning Waffle House guy. There's something awesome about getting a belly full of Waffle House before like an early tea time or something. Or if you're okay. about to do something fun where it's like early drinking, that's a hearty meal. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's chicken on a stick in Oxford for sure. Um. I'm not a big McDonald's. I mean, it's Taco Bell after that. I think so, too. I'm partial to McDonald's, but, like, if I'm really craving something and I'm assuming I'm in a quite the state of mind, I'm just assuming that that was a given in this, um, I'm probably going Taco Bell or Whataburger. And I'll tell you what, you want to talk about fast food heaven? The street that I live on. So I live on a street. Across the street is the Texas Rangers Golf Club where they had the web tour event, Corn Ferry. Sure. You go down about 200 yards and you take a right. And it's the main road. It's called Collins Street. And it is the street that leads into the Cowboys and Rangers Stadium. Every fast food chain you could name, I guarantee you can't name one that's not on this street. And it's all within about 0.4 miles. Whataburger, Taco, Casa, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, uh, Cane's, Popeye's. Arby's. There's an Arby's at the end of the road, actually. I'm screwed. Though. Literally every single chain you've Zach's Beach. Uh, okay, you got me there. I don't. All right. Zach's Beach, I haven't seen it, but this is fast food row. It fast is, food mana. Yeah, it really is. I'm sure it has nothing to do with a bunch of uh, stadiums and other touristy experiences in Six Flags half a mile away. But uh, <laughs> Not that there's a Six Flags in Dallas. How about that? Absolutely. Uh, I can actually see one of the roller coasters from my back porch. It's really. You, you're a roller coaster guy? No. Okay, so I'm not, not a roller coaster guy, but if, if you're listing ways I'm going to spend a Saturday, roller coaster doesn't make the top 15. Okay, so you're not going to Six Flags, like, unhinged. Like, you're, 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 somebody's got to drag you there. Okay, yeah, drag me is not – drag me is a little strong. My girlfriend likes that stuff. And if I was with a group of people that was like, hey, let's do Six Flags this weekend, I would be okay. like, sure, fine. That seems like a decent enough time. I heard they sell alcohol there. At the, but like if you're making me choose and I'm in control, it's lower on the list. If that makes sense, I'm not like okay, opposed no. to it, but it's just not my thing. You a water park guy or no? Um, I haven't been to a water park since I was in junior high. But honestly, I would do that before. Uh, that's partly growing up in Mississippi, to where there's not any good ones, right? You've got the one in Philly. Uh, Rapids on the reservoir never seemed to last. 
Um, so I'm not anti-water park. It's been a lack of resources. So I'd actually ever, go to the water park over Six Flags. Did you ever go to the water park in Philly? Yeah, uh, Geyser Falls. It's, yeah, it was dope. A couple times as a kid. It was really good. And then uh, we actually went. <laughs> we were 17 years old for some guy's birthday going to senior high school. He wanted to go to Geyser Falls. So we loaded up this van that one of our buddies' dads had for, like, work or something and went to Geyser Falls. Seems like a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. Uh, that was way more palatable than our habit of going to Chuck E. Cheese where they stopped letting us in unless we had a kid or we were over 30. They <laughs> <laughs> consider those people weird. Uh, yeah, I think they were. Uh, I think they had the eyes in the sky on us, to say the least. Um, <laughs> worst shitty weather experience during a sporting event? During sporting uh, events, during normal day activities. Uh, okay. I got an easy one. All right, go ahead. Well, I was in the uh, Georgia Dome when that tornado blew the hole in the side. Yeah, you, you win. I wasn't uh, scared, though, at all. I didn't know what was going on. I was 13. I was like, this is awesome. But, like, looking back at it, I mean, if, if something else isn't my answer, something's probably wrong with me. So, people may not remember this, but Ole Miss, when they were in the College World Series, played Virginia uh, yeah. twice. The first time, they played, like, an inning. and it came an absolute monsoon after that. And said monsoon did not stop. It was like they played at 6 o'clock, and I have never seen the sky get that freaking dark in my life. And it just, I mean, poured for two hours. And they call the game after an hour, and, like, I have to walk back in this monsoon and drive through the middle of freaking Omaha to get back home, uh, or not home, but to the hotel, that was one of the more miserable experiences in my life. <laughs> Tell you another one. I've never been more hot in my life than in 2013 when Ole Miss opened up at Vanderbilt. You've been to that stadium. I don't know if you've ever been in August. That stadium in August is a hellhole. I that can't was- even imagine. So I did, you know, I did, uh, I did Liberty Bowl in August, which is kind of Vanderbilt light. Sure. Yeah. Go. I'll tell you, that's a good one, though, because I'd forgotten that Omaha storm, and I wasn't even in Omaha, but I distinctly remember the footage and, like, looking at the weather forecast because I was in Oxford with friends and we were wanting to see how this game was going to play out. That was a bad storm. Like, as soon as you said that, I distinctly remember that storm. It was – that was scary. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a really good one. Um, What are your thoughts on the pitchers wearing play call armbands? Um. I don't hate it. I have noticed Mike not all the time yells into the uh, um, walkie-talkie. He, he he still uses signs, so. Yeah, but yeah, are you kidding me? That guy that guy still probably has a landline. No shit, he's still using signs. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? So what's a? I, I guess what am I missing with this question? Why would it be bad? Uh, they that, so the pitchers will have like an armband on, like you know with plays and stuff on it and the coach will yell three four two and they'll the catcher and the pitcher will both look at three four two and that'll be the pitch you throw when you beat a competitive i guess we're not, like why is why do you single out the pitcher why would you like you beat a competitive disadvantage if the pitcher didn't know what was going on well he's it, it's not a normal thing like this is the first year that's ever happened usually what happens is you say the the sign into the catcher the catcher puts uh, the signs down in between his legs, and the pitcher says, yep, and that's what we throw. Now they're just yelling out signs. Both of them look down, and that's what they throw. It's just kind of changed the the process of giving signs now. Fair enough. Uh, I'm just against anything that uh, 
I am for anything that gets Mike to stop using that walkie-talkie like a total narc. Um, Greg Jones chimes in. What's the difference between a Colt and a Philly? A what? Colt and a Philly. So I have Greg's no idea. talking horses here. I did catch on to that much. Without guessing, I have not cheated. i guessing a Colt is a male baby horse and a Philly is a female. What do you think? Colt is a male baby. Yeah, sure, man. Sounds good. Greg's deep well, into the horse racing. Now, he's basically the Bob Baffert of the Deep South. Um, oh, oh, no kidding. Oh. I, got, I got part of it right. So the Colt- hey, 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 we've got, we've got a fight in Kentucky and Florida right now. It's getting real. Bench is clearing? Uh, no, I think we got the benches back, but uh, we got a hard slide in the home plate. And the catcher, catcher had a few things to say. We, we can't fight nowadays in COVID. People forget that. Okay. We, we 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 had a fight though. We, we, we had did. A swing. Uh, they're probably going to punish the Cincinnati Reds because of that fight. I don't know <laughs> if you've been keeping up with that. Um, <laughs> so I actually was dead on with this. A colt is a baby male horse, and a filly is a young female horse that's too too old to be called a mare. And I just saw a gross picture of a uh, horse, two horses making a filly or a colt. I should not have googled that. Um, sorry. And yeah, I'm, I'm gonna let you have that one. Yeah. So how's how, how's the fight going? Back to that. Nah, well, umpires are talking now. Uh, the catcher from Florida is kind of soft. Kind of soft. Like, like, what's the dude supposed to do? Like, he, he slid feet first. I guess I should see if he was spikes up. Maybe I should see that. But uh, other than that, the catcher from Florida is kind of soft. We uh... Now, in saying that, like, all right, Florida, this game is tied at the bottom of the eighth. Kentucky has a guy on second, nobody out. They had a base hit in the left field. And I'm looking at it right now. The Kentucky guy is hitting third base as the guy from Florida picks the baseball up in shallow left field, and the idiot coach from Kentucky sent it. So, I mean, he was out by, I don't know, 10 feet. Seems like a really stupid thing to do. So that's just asking for trouble. Yeah. No, he didn't go spikes up. He hit him with his knees. Man, that's – that's catch your soft. Yeah, just We're be soft. <laughs> He's soft. We're too soft nowadays. Now, he could have broke his leg, but that was the catcher's fault. We have two more left. Just curious, whatever happened to Trey LaFleur as a possible pitching option? Ooh, he could have broke his leg. Uh, didn't work out. I mean, that's how it – stuff wasn't good enough. I'll throw my hand up on that one. My first fall away from covering this team in Oxford, I uh, I was actually not fully aware that that was a thing. Yeah, it it was last year. Uh, I don't think it was, it was this year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I it, the stuff wasn't good enough. Fair enough. Uh, this wasn't a mailbag question per se, but longtime listener Tyler Hayes was commenting on something you said during the midweek. Why not give Gur Holston a shot? I think that ship's probably sailed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we're done there. I mean, I just, I'm not even convinced Greer's still throwing bullpens at this point. Great locker room guy, though. And I, I mean that in all seriousness, because yes. that seems to be kind of his deal. Um, Greer, assuming he's not throwing bullpens and is kind of just there, not at look. I'm sure when he went to Ole Miss, he thought it was going to be a first round pick. But I'm sure, unfortunately for him, reality's probably set in over the past two years or so. Um, not a bad gig to be in if you're Greer, though, right? Like you don't have to bust it at practice. You get to you get to hang out with the dudes every day. You get to live in Oxford and be a baseball player. Not a bad gig. Um, no, and also a useful one. There's there's some, I, I think there's definitely something to the team camaraderie and kind of being the glue guy, particularly when you have that many guys in a clubhouse every day. I uh, I don't I wouldn't take something like that lightly. I mean, more often than not, it's a guy that plays 
But hell, I mean, when you have a guy where that's kind of his sole role with the team, that almost makes it even stronger. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree completely with that. Last one before we get out of here, because we, uh, I skipped one last week, and I hate skipping mailbag questions. Uh, Tim Peeler asked, what is my funniest Mike Bianco story? Go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I don't, to be honest, you, you used the wrong adjective, pal. I don't have a ton of funny ones. <laughs> well, a ton of – you have some that will make people that listen to this laugh. I'll give you an innocuous one because uh, because I've gone through all the what stories. What word, innocuous? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll one that one that doesn't like no, it would not it would not be anything to anyone that didn't just happen to be passing by practice that day. <laughs> because I've gone through all the stories, right? I, I've gone through when he yelled at me when I was interviewing for the crazy thing. I've gone through him yelling at me in Arkansas last. Wait, time. I don't think you've told the you've told me the crazy thing. I don't think you've said it on here. Sure, the the Caracy one was the one that really set off the entire deal where he was mad about me pitch, releasing the rotation for doing a projection when it was in-house. Yeah, I, yeah, I knew about it. that. I didn't know there was a uh, another Caracy. Or I, knew, I knew that. I just didn't know that, that it was told on here. Oh, no, no, no. Same story. So, like, I was working. Oh, okay. Yeah, working in-house. But it didn't come till next week. So, I was working in-house, did the pitch oh, review, right. guessed the rotation correctly because everyone knew what it was going to be that year in 2018 and then he took that rightfully so at, you know he goes i'm eating lunch with my son which i would i like to assume was actually busy which would make the story even funnier he's like and i get that on my phone and i think we've released the rotation i was like well talk to the sid about that i didn't say that anyway he didn't say anything about it until i started interviewing about the crazy thing and you could tell from the time i started talking to him he wanted to go at me and was just waiting till i slipped up and it happened but anyway i've gone through all the ones where he's yelled at me whether it be louisville Arkansas in 17 and all that. I'll give you a funny one. 2017 team, that team's really struggling. And we're sitting there out at practice in late April or something like that. And someone – I wish I, I could think of the names better because, you know, Mike's a big cliche guy, right? He reads those pregame speeches out of the book. They have Energy Sunday. They have kind of their superstitions and all that for Saturday. Some, some of it – you're still in school at this point, right? So he doesn't yes. hate you at this point. Uh, no, but it's close. That's actually probably the closest Mike and I have ever gotten from like a good working relationship because that was my third year covering baseball, but I was still in school and like he didn't know what to think of me, but he knew Mike what has was. not a soft spot, but he doesn't get after student reporters, I don't really think. No, I think that's probably why he sat with me in that hotel room to talk about Drew going to LSU for two hours that day. Um, <laughs> that was that same year. So we're, right. we're actually sitting, we're actually sitting there, and uh, and we're we just finished up uh, interviews, and they're doing ground balls or whatever. And someone was late for practice because they had a test. Like they didn't show up late, but it was just assumed they were going to be late because they had some sort of test. And he, it was a pitcher, if I'm not mistaken, because he needed to go out there and throw a bullpen. So everyone's yelling like, "Where is so and so?" For the sake of it, we'll just say, um. We'll just say Will Stokes. How about that? Okay. It's not who that was because it was a younger guy. And no one's mad. But, like, everyone's just kind of, like, laughing and going, where's Will? Where's Will? Everyone's yelling it. And then he runs out the dugout with his stuff on. And people are still in yelling, where's Will? And he goes, sorry, I had a test. And Colby Bortles is shagging balls at third base and says something to the effect of, fucking nerd, like, screams it. 
<laughs> across the stadium. And I thought Mike, like, I didn't know how Mike was going to react to that. And he just all of a sudden goes, hey, it's Motivation Monday. And Colby said something to the effect of, hope you made an A. It was awesome. Like, I don't know. It, it, the story was way better <laughs> in the moment. But, like, Mike then it, it, Mike goes, hey, it's Motivation Monday. And Colby was like, hell yeah, I hope you made an A or something like that just immediately. And that was their, like, you know, back and forth, back and forth. The exchange was effing nerd. Hey, it's Motivation Monday. Hope you made an A. For whatever reason, that made me laugh for a long time after I was walking out the box. There, there's a story about a team photo a few years ago that I can't remember. But, like, someone got their uh, sunglasses stolen during a team photo and they couldn't take the photo because someone wasn't going out there until by God, they found their sunglasses and God, I wish I could remember. It's one of the fun, like they were ready to fight over a pair of sunglasses that, that those teams could have been a little weird uh, back in the day. <laughs> we had one, Mike, someone weird. You, it gets tedious out there back, particularly when they used to do midweek availability all the time. It was Cooper Johnson that he had gotten his – he had gotten something stolen, and he, he he just decided he was not taking the team photo. Okay, well, that, that makes a ton of sense. I could see Cooper Johnson holding up a team photo because he didn't have the right necklace or sunglasses on. Like the kid, but that's very on brand. We, we had one a couple years ago. Where, and it gets tedious out there, man, particularly when they had the midweek availabilities and stuff, where you're just, like, fine. Particularly when, like, the, the, the in-house camera guy doesn't have his camera stuff ready. So you have like the awkward 90 seconds where he's setting that up and we're all just yes. staring at Mike all within two feet of each other. Someone blurts out like, what's your favorite baseball movie? And a couple of people name it. And then someone goes, Mike, what's your favorite baseball movie? This is like classic Mike where he just, instead why? of being like, you know, Sandlot, whatever, he just looks at the guy and goes, well, why? Like, I, don't I don't know, know man. Like if that would have been me, I'd have been like, I don't know, man. Cause I'm trying to sabotage your program over choosing rookie of the year instead of Sandlot. Mike was like, <laughs> Why do you want to know that? It's like, can you be a human for two seconds? <laughs> We're sitting out here in 90-degree heat in late April, and you're giving this guy the what for for asking your favorite baseball movie. Like, can we take it down a notch? Be normal, Mike. It's going to be fine. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I didn't have a good answer to that. It's probably, it's probably, the real answer is probably one of the times where he's making fun of Paris. Mike loves making fun of Paris with technology. Back in the day, Paris used to film the uh, post-game stuff with an iPad because the Daily Journal told him to. And Paris could never figure out how to turn that thing. So Mike would stand out there and pretend like he was holding an iPad and just make a face and start turning the air iPad back and forth as Paris is adjusting his iPad. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> Before he started the interviews. And it was good natured. Like, he wasn't, like, making fun of Paris. No, he, he was, likes Paris. Yeah, of course. It was funny, but – <laughs> Seeing Mike just amused by Parrish, maybe Mike kind of felt himself in Paris there for a little bit. Oh, there's a lot of similarities between those two, right? Uh, yes, they're both younger than they act. <laughs> Which, if you look, if you read that quote in its entirety, they're both younger than they act. It's uh, it'll make a lot more sense. So, anyway, we're about two hours in this thing. Let's make our picks and get the hell out of here. Um, we've given up tallying these things. I'm just get that, that you know that's our brand now. We're just gonna make these picks with no consequences. Let's roll through the SEC. Kentucky at Florida, score aside right now. Uh, Kentucky. Florida, two. Uh, Mississippi goes to South Carolina. South Carolina, two. I actually kind of like that. State swept three times. They're playing good baseball. I think South Carolina changed up the rotation. They need it. Oh, 
I'll go Mississippi State too, but I, I kind of like your pick. State's playing good ball. They're a good club. Alabama goes to Vandy. Alabama won, so Vanderbilt too, whichever one you're, where you want to say that. Yeah, Vanderbilt's coming off a series loss. You know what? I'm going to go Alabama too. How about that? Okay. Sounds good to me. Not gonna, I'm not going to mind that. Our, uh, Georgia goes to Arkansas. I think that's a strong Georgia one. Yeah, Arkansas one – or Arkansas two, excuse me. Uh, we both went Ole Miss two, correct? Yes. Tennessee goes to Missouri. Tennessee three. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think they get all three, man. Uh, and yeah. that was kind of like last week. We said Alabama needs three, and they got would get two against South Carolina. They uh, excuse me against Missouri last week. Credit to Alabama. They got three. Those boys are 11 and 10 with nine games to go. They're probably making the tournament. Yep, probably gonna make it. Especially probably need what three or four. But yeah, probably gonna make it. You know, you don't ever want to see any other team in the SEC East become a West. Excuse me, become another power if you're an Ole Miss person. But like, I don't know. I just I, I don't know why I find Alabama likable. They've been bad for a while after being kind of good. Good for that program. I guess that coach, I've heard him speak a couple of times. I had to interview him for something a long uh, two years ago. Yeah, Bohan, he's good. Yeah, he seemed like a nice man. So, like, I, I, I have a small rooting interest in that. Good for them getting back to the postseason. Uh, last one, we got LSU goes to Auburn. Uh, LSU, too. I think so, too. Uh, and LSU is pretty much guaranteed to get into Hoover if that's the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LSU's kind of – well, I mean, LSU's got 12 – what, seven wins? Seven wins, I think. Yeah, yeah, two wins, they're going to be in Hoover. But if they're talking about making the tournament, they need to sweep. For sure. That's our picks. I appreciate the time, as always, dude. I appreciate everyone listening. We'll be back at it for our normal Sunday Megapod. Um, be sure to check out tomorrow's news or today's newsletter for most of you listening to this. Uh, sign up for the Rippy Rights podcast. Go check out Skybox. Go check out LB's Greg. Um, Appreciate it, dude. I'll see you in a couple weeks because I just <laughs> like to together. All right. Sounds good, my man. Everybody have a safe and happy weekend, and we'll be back at it on Sunday.